you have to take the first steps to your own problems. You can't count on anyone to solve your problems for you. There's, that's just not realistic. If you think that other things are going to make you happy, if you're on a constant search to find that thing that's going to bring you joy, those things are fleeting and they're going to fall apart. So find something, put your faith in something, put your time into something that you can see grow and keep busy because no one, one of my life mottos is you got to create your own fun because nobody's going to do it for you. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Life presented by TLDR Podcast. It's episode eight, ladies and gentlemen. Um, last week's episode was Savannah Brown, and that was one of my favorite ones yet. So if you haven't checked that one out, please do. This week, we have another great guest. It's Micah Eastman. He has his own broadcast called the Micah Eastman Broadcast, shortened as MEB. Following on Instagram, Micah Reimagined. And he presents some really fun stuff on that little three-minute blog thing, blog thing that he does. It's really great. It's really fun to watch. Um, this episode, I learned a ton about Micah, a ton that I didn't know before. In this episode, he talks about his bout with manic depression, how he got by with it, why he does what he does with his Micah Eastman broadcast, his journey with Christ and how his religion affects his daily life today and how he lives by Christ, with Christ, and also what he's doing next and how he's going to use his degree to you know, shape the rest of his life. It's a really good conversation, really great talk. Hope you guys enjoy. Micah Eastman, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. I like the Golden Gate Bridge behind you. And before this, yeah. you changed it like seven times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, I'm digging it. Yeah, I feel like as a college student, you have to go through a bunch of those Zoom backgrounds just to you know keep it fresh, keep it clean every single time you're on Zoom. Hundred percent. I probably I probably spend half of my class time. Every five minutes, I change it just for the enjoyment of. Uh, those watching I mean zoom is painful as it is so I try to keep it a little more uh, I guess lighthearted. uh-huh it's I mean as an entertainer too like you have your Micah Eastman broadcast you put up on your Instagram stories so I mean you you keep it clean you keep it fresh every single time what made you start the Micah Eastman broadcast and first actually explain what that is and then why'd you start it yeah so the Micah Eastman broadcast is just about a three-minute video that I post as often as I can and it's just a chance for people to learn and also have a good time and hopefully just take away three minutes of stress from their day. Um, I vary the topics. One day could be all about food. I try to give each day a theme. For example, Tuesday for a while was tight Tuesday where it was all about like workout stuff and how to make your shirts fit tighter. Um, uh, Wednesday was what the heck Wednesday, something along those lines where you are going to learn something that's totally out of left field. You had no idea it existed. And the thick Thursday, of course, is where it's all about how we can fit in those jeans and it's all about food. So we try to, I try to spice it up. I, um, I started it roughly around last year, it started out as an Instagram story. And it was something I did to hype myself up before work just to get into that mentality. And just be like, I'm going to scream into this camera about something that I learned, and hopefully someone else is going to enjoy it. 
and they did and uh, started put, making condensed videos and giving it a little more of a twang, I suppose, making it more of an experience than just something that's going to evaporate in 24 hours. So <laughs> I, I enjoy it. Um, I haven't branched out too far into the YouTube spectrum just because I, I have a hard time with YouTube. YouTube's a very tricky algorithm to, to master as well as it's, um, it's, it's also something I'm not frequently on, but Instagram, it's just something to bless everybody's feed. I suppose three minutes of fun. People don't have a long attention span these days. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's easier to just pump out a three minute video then lambast somebody with an eight minute, you know, soliloquy where they're going to skip through the first two minutes. So I enjoy it. I like it. I think it's a lot of fun and I really hope to see where it goes next. How do you come up with different concepts? I mean, you've been doing, you've been doing it for a long time now and you have something fresh every single time. Honestly, prep work. It is, it's tough. I, I would like to think that my brain operates at a pretty quick frequency. So I'm, I'm able to be pretty quick on my feet. And sometimes I'm going, how random can we make this thing? Hey, let's see what a beaver's tail is in our food. You know, that kind of thing. You're going, what? <laughs> no. Okay. But um, usually it's just, it's just topics that I think of throughout the day. I'll write them down. I'll, go and do the research and see if there's anything that I can almost free base off of. Most of the facts that I'm presenting to the audience is honestly me riffing off of the fact. I try to keep it limited, again, only three minutes. But if I know my topic, I'm able to be a little more flowy and free with it. And that's the blessing of a broadcast or a or a edited video. You can do reshoots. It's not live. You get to focus on your, you get to focus on what you're trying to say. And if you mess up, you stop, redo it, and then you get to put out quality content. Um, I enjoy it. I think the toughest part is doing something that's family friendly for everybody. I really like to get everybody involved. I don't want to pigeon my whole, pigeonhole myself into a demographic where it's super niche. And even though that's kind of the idea you want to go for in podcasting, be different, discover your audience. With the Micah Eastman broadcast, I have kids who are about nine watch me. And then I have kids who are, or and then I have adults. I have, I have anywhere between the age range of 25 to 40 who watch my watch my broadcast. So if I can just present a learning experience while still keeping it enthusiastic and fun, I think that I'm achieving my goal. Yeah, you definitely are. I love listening to it. I kind of miss it because you've been back at school. So I haven't done it recently. Yeah. Um, I did want to point out one, want to focus on one thing that you had said earlier and how you're making it you're family friendly. Like the Mike Eastman is a family friendly broadcast. Right. And that will kind of lead me to my next point where your upbringing is different than most people. You grew up with like, what, six, seven siblings? How many? Yeah, I have four brothers and one sister. Yeah, that's a big family, man. <laughs> what was that like? What was growing up with a family that big? Well, me being the oldest, I think it's a learning curve for everybody. I, I frequently comment 
that my parents had me seven years into their marriage. They were married in 93 and had me in 2000, but I'm the guinea pig. I have to understand that as the oldest sibling and then everyone who follows, everything I do is a first. Everything I do is a first for my parents. So I have to give a little bit of grace. When I got my license first, I was like, mom, you, you guys are like being so tight on me. And I'm going, okay, now looking back, I'm going, all right, so I'm the first Eastman son, Eastman child to get his license. So I now understand that they're cautious. I get that they're a little wary of a situation. They're giving keys to an 18-year-old kid at the time. I don't know if we trust him. I wouldn't trust me either. So that being the case, everything's a, a constant learning experience where I have to kind of take things with a grain of salt. The frustrating thing growing up was having the competition of a brother. I have, I have multiple siblings, as I've already stated, four brothers, one sister, but I'm pretty close to my brother, Luke, who is number two. He's, he has been, I want to paint him in a good light because he's a really good dude, but he is a dude where everything he touches turns to gold. And we're going to touch, we're going to touch base on this a little later as we talk about the depression aspect and some of those other things. But um, Luke is athletic. He is a skinnier guy. So when he works out, he bulks up like that. I, if I smell a cookie, my waistline goes four inches out. Luke, he does three crunches and he has abs. So he has that genetic, seems to have the genetic build. He's, um, he's very smart. He's a very linear thinker and a very critical thinker, as opposed to me, where my brain is a firework. It's just sporadic, combustible, and all over the place. Luke is able to clearly articulate and make poignant points. So that's where going to school with him and he's a year and a half younger than me. All of my siblings are about a year and a half in separation. I'm I'm 21, Luke's 19, Caleb just turned 17, Josiah's 13, Isaiah is 11 turning 12 in April and then Ellie is 9. So all that being the case, my mom was practically pregnant for a decade. And um, she was like a Pez dispenser, man, just like lean the head back and a kid pops out. So it's like a Coke machine, hit a button and boom, a kid. So uh, growing up with Luke was tough because we're all, we're all moving along at the same pace. We're close enough in age where we're doing all the same activities. We're doing the same sports. We're doing the same classes. But even though I'm the older older guy, he seemed to exceed at all of those other things. And that was a hard thing to grasp as a kid. So um, I'd probably say that was the toughest part about growing up, having that at one point unhealthy competition with my brother. Now it's not so much a competition, it's more of a friendship. But um, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being the oldest brother. And as I said, my mom was practically pregnant for a decade. And my dad was working three jobs so she could stay at home. He was, I'm, I'm very grateful for my dad's work ethic. And if I could even have a fraction of what he has, I would be, I think that I would be in a good spot for the rest of my life. 
Um, but my mom would be laying in bed and she has, oh my gosh, when she would get pregnant, she would get so sick, so sick, especially when summertime came and we have, I want to say two summer babies, Ellie, oh, Ellie, Josiah and Luke are all summer babies. And of course, whenever she was pregnant, the heat records were off the chart. So it's 105 outside. She's sick. My dad's at work and I have to take care of the four siblings. So I will say this to whoever gets stuck with me in this monogamous thing we call marriage. I know how to change a diaper. I know how to take care of a kid. I know lots of skills that I, I wouldn't if I didn't have a big, big family. So um, yeah, man, being a big, being in a big family is something I wouldn't trade for the world. I really enjoy the morals that's come along with it, the character development that's come with it. So I'm blessed. I really am blessed, man. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. You mentioned a couple of things I kind of want to focus on here. Of course. You mentioned a lot of positives, but at the beginning, there was a little bit more of that negative aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And no disrespect to your parents. Cause I love your parents to death. Like your parents are some of the greatest human beings I've met in my life. <laughs> But having the attention spread out among multiple kids, do you think that affected you long-term? Because typically when families have kids, they have two to three kids and you get more attention with two to three kids. But with five kids, six kids, it's hard to put all that attention to give you the attention that you would typically want. And with that came with a lot more responsibility placed upon you. So therefore you had to grow up faster. Do you think that affected you long-term? I'm going to say yes, but... Well, yeah, let's go with yes. So the long-term effects are you learn how to be independent in a good way. You learn how to bear responsibility of someone who's a little bit older. And I think that that's something that's, I would say, is missing in today's, in today's culture. I wish kids were forced to be in a position to grow up a little bit more where what's in their hand is, you know, a work application rather than a GameCube or sorry, GameCube. Wow. I just dated myself, uh, <laughs> Xbox controller, you know? So as far as the attention piece, I'm going to say it didn't have too much of an effect on me mainly because you, there seems to be a mutual understanding between a mom and a dad and his son. And that's, obviously the baby is going to need more attention than me and seeing the significant age gap. I'm 11 years older than my sister. By the time she's coming out of the womb, I'm 11 and I'm still out and about. I've always been a social guy. So I'm always wanting to hang out with my friends. So I guess there's not so much of a necessity of attention from my parents, from me, because at the time, we were all kind of doing our own thing. By the time Ellie and Isaiah came around, I'm already taking classes somewhere else. My mom's not so much homeschooling me anymore. I'm now going to specific uh, classes to get that done. There's a level of independence. So I didn't necessarily feel neglected or felt like I was put on the back burner any any way. It just was a mutual understanding that the baby needs the attention. The baby is going to obviously need more time. And 
more intense schooling as well, a higher focus, a more intense focus is going to be put on them in preschool because you're trying to teach them how to read. You're trying to teach them how to write. You're teaching them how to literally speak. So I didn't think that the effects were, were too strong. I think that I had a good childhood. I'm blessed. We've, we've come a long way and God has been ex- extraordinarily good to our family. So, mm. yeah. So that was the negative. I like that answer. That was a fantastic answer. It was, it offered new perspective that I don't ever think about, you know? Hmm. So that was kind of the negative that I was trying to get to, but you turn into a positive, but on the flip side, what is the most positive thing that comes out of living and growing up with a big family? You had mentioned character development and good morals, but if you were to pick one major thing that came out of that, what would it be? And that's tough. I think I would like to say there's unity. There's a unity that comes with a big family that I don't know if I would have had an opportunity to obtain if I had been a, a, a single child. You learn to bond with people and you learn to establish teamwork in a way you never thought you would have to. We've had family issues. We've had all kinds of things that have come with the 20 years that I've been alive or as long as we've been a family where we've had to look at each other. We've had to look at our parents and go, I stand with you on this. Um, When somebody says this, I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm not going to lambast that person. I'm not going to let them talk to you like that. There's a level of unity, teamwork, and ultimately encouragement because me and Luke used to bash heads all the time, all the time. And there came a point where if someone was to come after us on the sports field or if someone was to come at us in any other setting, we would be the first one to rush over and we'd hash it out. There's, there's just a protectiveness that comes along with being in a big family that I wouldn't have understood or been able to cognitively comprehend if I was a single child. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. It's going to help you later on a lot in life too, which is awesome. It's really cool to see that and hear that. Uh, Earlier you had mentioned how the competition with Luke, Mm -hmm. somehow you link that to depression and something that the listeners don't know and something that we've talked about occasionally is that you are a depressed you have gone through depression yeah and so what is that like and then how did you get through it yeah so I had always been a sensitive kid growing up I was very much a people pleaser and I would like to think that I'm a recovering people pleaser and how it looks James it looks like this and there might be a couple of tangents that come along the way. So please bear with me. Of course. So starting when I was little, there was always that competition with, with Luke. Well, one day, and it was meant as a joke, but as a kid, I didn't really understand sarcasm. My parents once said, we're really banking on Luke because he's our retirement plan. And as a kid, I was like, well, why? 
it, what is he going to do that's so great that you guys are never going to want for anything again? What's what does he have to offer that I don't? And that's the that was my understanding and lack of lack of knowing what sarcasm was. But that stuck with me for a while. And my parents totally forgot about it. They didn't even know. I didn't take it as in, oh, I'm weeping on my pillow. My my tears soak my bed every night. No, 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 no. It was more of just something that was always in the back of my head, kind of like, got it. That's what Luke's mission is. He's We all are going to acknowledge that he's going to become an engineer someday. He's going to work for Elon Musk. He's going to get us on Mars, yada, yada, yada. Great for him. And then your boy is going to be the dude who's playing the triangle in the symphony. You know, woo, ting, ting. Good for you, man. All that music degree just to clang a cymbal. That's that's what I had an understanding of what that meant. And moving forward into high school, I've always been social. I like to think that I've always been the class clown. But, you know, I kind of compare it to this. Comedians. Comedians, if you've never done stand-up comedy before and you get on stage, you have a lot of work to hash out. You have, you have to get people to laugh. You have to people to engage. You have to keep people's attention. You have to lock them in and you're going to bomb until you catch that flow, that ebb and flow of how comedy works. You are going to bomb. If you're getting up there and winging it, you're going to bomb. Unless you're Robin Williams, you're going to bomb. How I like to think of my high school year my high school days is kind of like comedy in where those years were just me trying to be the class clown, not getting the laugh and bombing. Now I think I'm pretty freaking funny. Personally. I think you I'm are. funny. I, I appreciate that. I yeah, like to think, I like to think that I'm a pretty funny guy. And at that time I was at a low point. I was making jokes. I was self-deprecating. I was just that guy where I would, destroy myself in order to get the attention of another person so that they would rush to my aid and be like, Oh no, you're not. Stop. That's not you at all. And I would be like, Oh, if you say so, especially if it was a girl. Now I really struggled with my own self-worth and Everybody seemed to have an idea, a plan. Hey, I'm going to this school. I'm knocking out my prereq. I'm going to go pre-med. I'm going to be a doctor. I have a plan. Even if I don't do that, I have a plan. I didn't even have a plan. And everything I seemed to touch was eclipsed by somebody else. Now, it might be, it might be useful to say, that I have dyslexia and ADHD. School comes extraordinarily difficult to me. And I have all of these people around me who seem to be extraordinarily successful when their pencil touches the page. They can articulate thought, they can reason, they can point out things from a point of view that you probably have never thought of. Huh, nice, well done. You use the Socratic method to split the atom. That's new. Got it. I can't do that. That being the case, 
I was working myself to death in high school. I stripped myself of pretty much everything I loved. And I stripped myself of everything I loved in order to succeed in school. And that broke me down. My relationships seemed to be stagnant. Um, in the entirety of my high school career, all eight of the girls that I had a crush on ended up liking Luke. So that was kind of fun. I was 0 for 8 in that ballpark. <laughs> that was pretty oh, rough. Tough. Yeah, that was tough. So all of that psychological and mental warfare is just chilling up there. And I seem to have no output. I seem to work and work and work and work and work and never see a fruitful ending as opposed to everyone else where it seemed to be just this effervescent tree of, of productivity. And it was frustrating. I was in my own head and I couldn't seem to succeed. And I felt like I was okay at everything, but not great at anything. And that was so frustrating to me. In fact, for example, just to accent the point of the competition between me and Luke and what sent me into kind of a spiral. Spanish class on a Spanish final, it was, I want to say junior or sophomore year. I think it was junior year. I had spent almost three hours a day studying for the Spanish final. When it's done, I get a 98. Pretty stoked. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Luke, who didn't study at all, got a 99. And I raged. I raged and I was going, how is it? How? Why? Why can't, why, why is everything just so easy to him? I put my heart and soul into this and it's still not enough. It's never enough. Everything I do falls to pieces and it's not enough. That was so difficult. And being in a place where you're aimless, you're directionless, you feel like being the class clown is all you have, but when you can't make people laugh, what are you? And then girls don't like you, which is, a, well, girls don't like you, which is always a good time. And then, uh, yeah, honestly, I was, I was kind of, I'm going to be vulnerable here. At the time, I was searching for happiness in all the wrong spots. I was surfing the internet on all the places where you're going, oh, oh, yeah, that, uh, that'll raise some red flags. I was listening to the most explicit rap you could get. I was a huge fan of NWA at the time. And there was just nothing, there was nothing, I guess, uplifting ever passing its way into my, into my system. It was all negative. The thoughts about me were negative. The way I felt about me was negative the way that I was conducting myself was negative. I was a cynic. Everything I did was to be different. Uh, I was the guy who didn't like popular things just because it made me different. It was a personality trait to not like the things that were popular because I thought that I would have something interesting to contribute to a conversation. Um, it came to a point where I was depressed, angry, swearing at an all-time high. Um, nothing mattered. It was kind of a mentality of life sucks, but I have to live it. I started cutting myself. I, I, I felt 
like I couldn't put my anger and frustration into anything because it just wouldn't work. This was even when I was making music and that didn't seem to do it. So I started harming myself. I was, there seemed to be a release, a, an adrenaline push that just forced me to calm down. My body would go cold and I was like, okay, that now that I've taken the shot in the arm, now that I've taken this, this cut, I can now just relax for a second. It's, it's like a wave, a wave of something just comes over you and you're able to breathe for a second. Pain, when it hits you, I could get punched right in the chest as hard as you could. You know, when you stub your toe on a, on like a chair and it takes a second and then the pain comes and all you have to ha all you can do is just go. Okay. Okay. We're fine. We're fine. That's kind of what it was like. And um, there were other things going on with relationships. I couldn't seem, I, I was hiding a lot of things. So I didn't feel like I could talk to my parents. I was stagnant and also young in a relationship. So communication was horrible. And I'm also, I was also very jealous. So everything seemed to be a perfect storm of, wow, that's not okay. This is not okay. To switch into the up climb, there came a point where I, I came into my mom and dad's room and Tradition has it that I usually walk in, give my mom a hug before she goes to bed. I say goodnight to my dad, and then I go and do my own thing. Just right before they go to sleep, they're old, they go to bed at 10. I walk into their room, and I just remember with a, with a cracking voice, I said, I need help. I, I need help. And... My mom goes, okay, well, what do you mean by help? I said, I think I need medication. Frankly, I can't keep living the way that I'm living. This is, this is not how I want to spend the rest of my life. And it doesn't seem to go away. Nothing I, I'm doing seems to work. And she goes, okay, well, before we resort to medication, would you like to talk to somebody? You know, someone who's not me, someone who's not dad, we're your parents, we get it, we're not cool, we get it, we, we understand, that's why there's therapists, that's why there's psychologists. I said, I, I think I would. So we have a family friend who is a licensed, um, uh, what is it, yeah, licensed psychiatrist, and I flew up to Washington, this was roughly maybe three years ago maybe four, I was around 17 years old. We flew up to Washington and I just talked to him. He, he gave me some things to think about. He asked me about relationships. He asked me about all these things. And I think for the longest time, I also held on to my depression because I thought, Hey, depression gives me a personality. It gives me an edge. It gives me something that not everybody has. I was miserable. I was, James, on a scale to one to miserable, I was deplorable. It was bad. It was just bad. But 
it gave me a reason to be looked at differently. So when I went and saw the psychiatrist, he, he was like, okay, Micah, all right. You're watching this, aren't you? And I was like, how'd you know that? He goes, oh, no, it kind of falls into the tendencies of this. Hey, are you doing that? what the heck? You're not a psychiatrist. You're a psychic. And he goes, no, 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 no. At the end of the day, these are all tendencies. And these are all habits that tend to go in with manic depression. Do you find yourself getting angry at, at, at random times? Yeah. When you're up, you're up. And when you're down, you're down. Yeah, absolutely. He goes, yeah. So I was pretty much, I was diagnosed as a manic depressive, which is it's in the same ballpark as being bipolar, but it's not as extreme. Bipolar, it's it's it can change in, you know, I could be right here and suddenly I'm raging. But with manic depression, it's over extensive days, weeks, even months, where your whole life seems to be one constant ebb and flow of ups and downs. And um, he goes, okay. So he diagnoses me as a manic depressive. And from there, he had to get my parents very much more involved than they were. And I don't, I don't shun that at all. If anything, I'm, I'm grateful. But um, I think ultimately what he did was tear away the facade of this makes you different. This makes you interesting. This makes you somebody. Um, yeah, it was an eye-opening experience, especially at the age of 17, where you are still this growing, maturing, young, I'm going to call myself a boy. I was far from a man. No, not legally, not, not anything, really. There was nothing manly about me at the time. But um, it taught me some things. It taught me how to confront what I was feeling. It told me to really, at the end of the day, be a person and not an emotion, I think is what it, what it taught me. So that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, that's kind of the flow of how things went. And since then, I've, I've really worked, worked hard on working on myself and I've, I've really worked on being more confident in me. And instead of comparing and despairing, which is still something I fall, I fall to all the time. It's something, as soon as I put my foot to the gas pedal and started saying, you know what, instead of whining and complaining and saying, oh, this person's so much better, just shut up and do something. Just shut up and do something. That guitar is not going to play itself. The hours that you put in on that thing are going to constitute whether you get better. So that being the case, I think that I'm in a much better place now. Um, not in a relationship, single and far from ready to mingle. Bachelor to the rapture, baby. It's all about, it's all about growth. It's all about moving forward and how you handle that situation. And I think that, you know, what, what is it? 
uh, admittance is the first step to healing. I think that was also another, another big thing, realizing that it's not about me. Uh, a mental condition does not make me quirky. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta work for what you get. So that's kind of my, that's kind of my bout with depression. That's, it's been, it's been a roller coaster for sure. When you went to the therapist up in Seattle and you said that they worked through breaking down that facade, that depression and was your personality trait. So what have you found out about yourself? Like who is Micah Eastman when you take away the facade of depression? Who are you? That's a really good question. I would like to think that if you wipe away depression, I am a musically talented, charismatic, humorous, easygoing, sometimes aimless, ultimately fun guy. That's what I like to, that's what I like to think. But when you, I'll compare it, I'll compare it to music for the sake of, for the sake of the conversation. If I have a guitar, an electric guitar, and I want it to sound different, I can use pedals. I can use these, these compressors. And what you're going to get is a completely different sound out of that, out of that guitar than what the guitar sounds like naturally. I think depression for me was one large compressor. It was one big loop pedal where it made who I was completely different. And it even took those good traits that I have and morphed them into something that they weren't. So I think once you take that all away, I really like who I am. I think that there are some pretty solid qualities within me, but there's also plenty of things I still need to work on. And um, that that therapy, that three-day therapy, we were over there for a weekend, kind of exposed that. And in hindsight, 2020, I wish I would have grasped that sooner. I wish I would have done things to <clears throat> accelerate the process. But I really like who I am. I think that it's, I think that uh, God has blessed me in many ways with many talents and many skills. So, sorry, there's a phone call in this house. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, fun, charismatic, energetic, at times a thinker. My grandma says I'm wonderful, so that's what counts. <laughs> so, just so you know, I didn't know that you had gone through this bout with depression, this manic depression. I had no idea. So when I'd met you and hung out with you more and more, what you had just mentioned about your qualities in life and who you are is exactly what I saw. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a really good job of presenting who you think you are. Cause that's what I see. That's what everybody sees. That's what people see through your broadcast. It's fantastic. I love it. You're being true to yourself. Uh, you had said I appreciate earlier that, that, of course, dude, of course. That's what I'm here for. Right. <laughs> uh, you had said that you had wished you had learned the things you learned in those three days earlier in life. But I want to argue and say that this hits you a whole lot more because you had gone through that hurt. You had gone through that depression. If you had learned this earlier, it wouldn't have the same effect. You kind of have to go through the bad stuff. And I'd mentioned this before in every other podcast or interview that we've had, but you learn through opposites and things happen and you learn more because of failures and because of bad experiences and become better as a person. 
And that's what I'm seeing with you. You got through some tough stuff and you have this great perspective now because you're able to use what you've gone through to educate others, to help yourself become more positive because you know what it's like to be on that downslide, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. I, uh, I really like to entertain. I think we've had this conversation before and the whole purpose of what I do and why I do it is I don't want other people to feel the way that I have. I remember Robin Williams said something along the lines of people, I do what I do and I get on stage because I know how those people are feeling. I, I want to do my absolute best so that they aren't feeling the way I'm feeling. And unfortunately, he was a very, very sad man and a very unhappy person and eventually took his own life. But he did his absolute best to make sure that everyone else wasn't feeling the way he was feeling. He brought so much joy to everybody else. And I've wanted to take that same mentality through the broadcast, through my music, through entertaining, just so that when people are with me, they feel like everything fades away for however long they're with me. You know, I'm sure that there's a bunch of other problems that can come, come along with that, including at some point you have to take a moment for yourself and not everything has to be a performance, but realizing that people are just looking for something and there's always something that people are chasing, but it's, infrequent i find it's infrequent that they're happy while they're chasing it everyone's happy when they get it everyone's stoked when they have that that paycheck in their hand but people are hurting people hurt in a lot of different ways and if i can just be a few minutes where they forget what they're feeling (laughs) my day's accomplished I, i feel like that's why god put me on this earth Wow. You're very consistent with that. Cause I remember an interview I did with you a couple weeks ago. That was pretty much the exact same thing you said. You're like, I want to be an entertainer. I'm, I think I'm here to help people be more positive and take away some of those stresses in life. You're doing a great job of it. Thanks man. I really appreciate yeah, that. Of course. Um, how are you dealing with this manic depression now? It, I have, I have bouts it's not nearly as consistent as it was at one point in time. It seemed it was one week I'd be fine. The other week down for the count, like wouldn't leave my bed kind of thing. Now I'd probably say I have a dive maybe once every three months or so it's, it's become few and far in between. So I'm grateful for that. I think that that shows character development. It shows where my head is at, but, um, it's okay to be sad, but it's how long are you wallowing in it where I have to be careful? Wow. Okay. What do you do? What steps do you take when you're down like that? Really? I try to spend time with the people who I know aren't going to let me be in that state of mind. Uh, my best, my best friend, Jared Pagano is someone that I've known for Wow. Almost 18 years. We met when we were three years old. Now we're both 21. So there've been so many times where we'd even be playing a video game and I would quit because he was just 
beating the crap out of me. Like it was abuse at that point. And he would just look at me and go, if you put that controller down, I'm going to kick your butt. I was like, what? He goes, shut up and get better at the game or don't play. You keep like sometimes he'd even mock me. And honestly, while I would be a little stunned, it was that jump I needed to be like, okay, all right. The pity party is not going to work. It's, it's time to move forward. And those are the people that I spend time with when I'm feeling that way. If I need comfort, I'll straight up say, Hey, I'm not feeling the greatest right now. And they'll go, okay, well, I'm here for you. Let's spend some time together. Do you want to go get food, coffee? Do you need to talk? Do you not need to talk? Do you just need people? I've, I've been blessed to have multiple individuals like that in my life. Another thing that I do is I write music. I, I put that energy and I put that pain, I put that joy, whatever emotion into my music. And allowing that to manifest is also something that is an upside. You get to take pain, you get to morph it, transform it, build it up from the ground up, and now people have something to relate to. Um, another cool thing that I, I found relating to the broadcast is... Whenever I was having an absolutely sucky day, like mm, this just blows kind of day. When I would do the broadcast, it would put me in a mentality of happiness because nobody deserves to have your stuff projected onto them. So that's where a bit of the acting of acting happy came along with the broadcast, but for me, this may not be for other people and Hollywood is a perfect example. They can be the happiest person on screen. They're like, it's go time, cameras on and they're ready to go. And then they go home and they cry themselves to sleep at night or they drink their problems away. Personally, when I get forced into a state of happiness, it affects the rest of my day. I found that when I was cracking jokes, when I was making light, when I was having a good time making that broadcast, it made my mood lighten for the rest of the day. And it was almost therapeutic to me as well. And I found that when I was doing the broadcast, there were few things that bothered me as much. I was more focused on having fun with the broadcast. Look at what we're seeing today. Dude, did you know that moose have antlers that can get up to eight feet wide? No, you didn't. You know, that kind of thing. And I, I think that it was therapy in a way. It allows me to move forward and I'm doing something that I enjoy. I think that's another piece of it. When you're down in the dumps, the last thing you want to do is go to your nine to five, unless you love your nine to five. If you're doing that daily grind, pulling away for a second and doing something you thoroughly enjoy has helped dramatically. So just to recap, that soliloquy of thought, people who surround people who are around me are huge. The next was music, manifesting that, that hurt and pain into something you can create is, is pretty therapeutic. And then lastly, aside from 
my belief in God, lastly, was just doing something I love. Um, it allowed me to get in there, make something for the enjoyment of people. And that's what ultimately brings me joy. So, yeah, it's, uh, I lose, I lose many of those battles. I'm not going to pretend like I'm some comeback story where, and now I don't get depressed. Ah, contraire, ah, contraire. If anything, it hits you right when you can't afford to be depressed. It hits you at the most inconvenient times. So that's where I really have to put my faith in and put my faith in Christ. I have to put my energy towards things that I love and I have to kind of just get through it. But um, I'm blessed and I've been made known by many people, the kind of support that I have. So yeah, those are, those are kind of the steps that I'm taking right now. It's not perfect. (laughs) Steps are steps. If you're moving forward, you're moving forward, man. It's not like you're going backwards at all. So that's really cool. Um, Do you have any tips for somebody who feels the same way that you do? Because maybe they may not be diagnosed with manic depression, but they have some symptoms just like that. So what tips do you have for them? I'm going to look directly in the camera for this one. So understand that I know what you're going through, but here's the thing. You have to take the first steps to your own problems. You can't count on anyone to solve your problems for you. There's, that's just not realistic. If you think that other things are going to make you happy, if you're on a constant search to find that thing that's going to bring you joy, those things are fleeting and they're going to fall apart. So find something, put your faith in something, put your time into something that you can see grow and keep busy because no one, one of my life mottos is you got to create your own fun because nobody's going to do it for you. Same thing goes with your problems. Nobody's going to solve your own problems. You have to. So if that means getting help, go get help. If that means talking to somebody, please talk to somebody. It doesn't mean that a knife to your wrist, it doesn't mean that, you know, a knife to your wrist isn't going to solve anything. A pill down your throat isn't going to solve anything. A bottle is definitely not going to solve you, solve anything. Just be diligent, be an active participant in your own rescue is what I would, is what I would very much position to somebody who's been in the same, same position as me. Um, you can't count on, on people to fix your problems because people are imperfect. We've had that conversation. People are, oh, you don't got to look very far. I could flip over to CNN or Fox News right now and, and give you 35 counts of imperfection. You can't rely on those people to make your life better. So that's what I would recommend. Uh, be diligent. Be diligent in seeking help. So that's, that's the, that's the ball game for, uh, for that one. That was, that was beautiful. That was deep. That was amazing. Well done. Um, <laughs> everybody, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, Mike is going to tell us more about his journey with Christ and what he's working on next. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning back in. As I had mentioned before, we're going to talk about Micah's journey with Christ. He's mentioned it a couple of times uh, in the beginning there. And this is something that I haven't really talked to with him about. So this is going to be all new stuff to me too. So I'm excited. Micah, when did your journey with Christ begin? I know that he plays such a big part in your life. And I, right now, as I've met you, you don't curse. You don't swear. You don't do anything that's immoral. But you had mentioned in your depressive state, you listen to terrible music. Not that NWA is terrible, but it was profanity laced. I love right. NWA, just so you guys know. But it's profanity-laced, and that's something that you don't take into your life. So when did your journey with Christ begin, and why did it become so deep? Well, I do want to clarify. I, I, I'm i a fallen man, and I do plenty of immoral things. It's just the, the, ever, the ever-existent pursuit of not doing those things is, is what I really try to focus on. So um, I became a Christian officially at the age of 11. I had... My parents are Christians. I have been in a Christian home for the entirety of my life and have always been surrounded by it. But I didn't put my faith in in Jesus until the age of 11. And that was after, um, well, my testimony goes like this. We were on our way to Costco. It was me and my grandpa and my mom. And there were all of us siblings in the back of the car. And we're driving through an intersection and traffic is so congested. It is backed up beyond belief. And when we finally get through the intersection, there is a car that looks like a tin can. It's just uh, condensed. It is obliterated. And sure enough, there's the other car that's turned on its side. It was it was a total collision. There's, there's nothing. It was fatal. And as we pass through, it's almost like in a scene in a movie where you get a close-up of the kid through the window and he looks and in slow motion, he glances to his side and on the, on the ground in a blue tarp is a body bag. And at the age of 11, that was a lot to comprehend. That was my first true experience with death. I hadn't had any, I hadn't had any grandparents die at the time. It was still a new concept. So I went home and I just fell apart. That just lingered in my brain. I was rocking back and forth on my bed, just saying things like, why, why, did, why did that person have to die? And for, this was weird thinking for an 11-year-old. I, I got to say, I think that it was, it was God-influenced because there's no way that I was thinking at that level at the age of 11, I was an idiot, but I was asking these questions. Like I'm just rocking back and forth. I'm like, why did that person have to die? Is what if, what if that was a mom or a dad? Like they have a family, they have kids. Why, why couldn't it have been? So I even said, James, I even said, why couldn't it have been me instead? Because I'm a kid and I'm young in life and haven't done anything. This person probably had so much more to give. My parents pulled me aside and they were like, Michael, are you afraid of death? And I said, yeah. And I asked why that person had to die. And they walked me through everything. They said, they, they gave me the gospel, essentially, um, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, when we were created, I know that not everybody believes this, but bear with me, you know, Adam and Eve created, they sinned. And because they sinned and disobeyed God, that's where the rest of sin stems for the rest of the world. Like we are fallen people and the consequence of our sin was death. And 
from there, that's where, that's where life ends once you die, but it's how you live the rest of your life. And if it's to please God, you know, you get to spend the rest of eternity in heaven with him. And you, and they also really reiterated that Jesus Christ came down. He was the son of God. He came down and he died on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead three days later, breaking the curse of sin or breaking the curse of death and paying our pain sins for us so that we may live in eternity. And wow, I'm doing great living in eternity in heaven with him. So having that reiterated in such a time of vulnerability, where I was asking those questions and my ears and brain were just ready to listen. They're ready to ingest everything that they are saying. And um, I was, I was pretty taken aback and I, I then gave my life to the Lord and I've had plenty of, plenty of bouts. Obviously everything that we talked about as far as depression goes almost came after I became a believer. So Christ while he is my savior, it's me who messes everything else up. I'm still a fallen person who's going to fall short of so much, and I'm going to struggle with many things. So this being the case, um, that's my testimony. That's, that's how I came to know the Lord. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I have, have parents that have raised me up in this way. It's, it's unfortunate, though. I will say this. It is unfortunate that we live in a society where Christians are painted in the light that they are. Because if you look at Hollywood and if you look at the modern culture, Christians are these Bible-beating Baptists who are always judging. It's all about, no, you shouldn't do that. No, no, no. God says no. Well, we're also called to love the sinner, not the sin. But I don't mind. I don't, I don't hate anybody. I'm a Christian. I may not agree with you, but when did we get to a point where we can't disagree and still be civil? You know, I, 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 you may not agree with my lifestyle. I'm a Christian. Lots of people aren't Christians. So there's a, there's a lot with Christianity that I try to hold myself to, and it's a constant battle. It's a constant struggle, and I'm far from perfect, and, uh, and yeah, man, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy lifestyle to live, but it's one that I'm very grateful that I do. So what are the biggest challenges with, with living as a, a Christian? Man, that's a great question. I think... For me, it's really not being able to say what I want to say. I am a few things, James. I am a white Christian conservative male in a time where you are now the antithesis of what everybody wants you to be. Okay. So as a Christian, like I said before, everyone thinks you're this Bible beating, this Bible beating Baptist who walks around just vaporizing everything he sees with judgment when on the contrary, that's the last thing I want to do. If, if I wanted you to believe something, am I better? Am I better by being kind? Am I better by 
gaining your trust? Am I better off making you want to spend time with me? Or am I better off just lambasting you with, with unkindness, with judgment, with, with nitpickiness? Which one is the more beneficial if I'm trying to get you to hear what I'm trying to say? The, the, for- the former. Yeah, the former. Absolutely. If I'm always meeting you with a closed fist, then there's no opportunity for me to reach out and give you a handshake. That's the toughest part about being a Christian. So many, so many religions have their extremists. That's just the way the ball bounces. For Christians, it's a Westboro Baptist Church. Those guys are wild, okay? They're the ones who are on the corners saying, God hates fags and all that stuff. And I'm going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you think anybody wants to hear your message now? The answer is no, because you are totally separating yourself from the mission, which is to go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're supposed to do. Do you think that a sign as provocative as that is going to invite a conversation? The answer is no. Frankly, the answer is no. And working in the place that I do, nobody nobody wants to even come close to asking my opinion on anything. The election just happened. The election just happened and many people know that I'm a Christian. Many people know that I'm a conservative and Um, They refrained from talking about religion with me, and they also refrained from politics. And when Biden was elected, I wasn't necessarily stoked with the result. I I did vote the other way. But, you know, what happens, happens. But the double standard that comes along with everybody else is when you talk about it, they don't want to hear it. Oh, you're just a hater. Oh, you judge. Um, therefore it's very difficult to promote conversation. It's very difficult to, I guess, pick other people's brain because they think you're so set in a certain way of thinking and they think that your mind can't be changed about anything. And on top of that, they're going to be judged. That's not what I try to promote. And that's not what I'm about. I like to have conversation and even though I'm a conservative, I have plenty of libertarian in me. You're going to do what you're going to do. We're all adults and we're going to act accordingly. Just don't make me pay for it is really, is really my thing. But um, it's, it's tough to be a Christian these days. It is, it is very difficult to be a Christian. They, people can be mean, man. People can be mean. Um, I've, I've known some of my friends who, as soon as they become a Christian, they lose all their friends, all their friends just distance themselves from each other. Uh, there's war within our own churches and you're, you're ostracized from a group because you don't believe a certain theology. There's still plenty of sin that goes on in Christianity. And like I said, we're fallen people, but, um, it's, it's tough being a Christian because you're also put on this pedestal, even though people don't put themselves on that same pedestal. We're all supposed to be moral. We're all supposed to be individuals who seek to do good. But 
if I'll, I'm going to use some props here, let's say I have this platform, right? I am, this is the, this is the floor. Everybody's standards are right here at the floor. Okay. Do good things, be there for other people, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But for whatever reason, even though people don't, may not believe Christianity, they still hold Christians to this standard. And when this standard, when this Christian falls, we now have an issue. Oh, you've heard that song? Well, that doesn't seem very Christian of you. Well, aren't you an atheist? Yeah, but that doesn't seem like a very Christian thing to do. So there's, there's a standard that's to be met. The world holds Christianity to a higher standard than it does sometimes themselves. And it's hard when you fall because you fall harder than everybody else. So I think that's the hardest part. I think that's definitely the hardest part. Wow. And being a Christian, has that led into any of the, your decisions that you made towards your future? Um, like, for example, where do you go to school? Uh, Bi- yeah. You go to Biola, yeah. correct? Or Concordia? Yes. You Concordia? I go to Biola University. I think it has Christian roots, but I go to Biola University. So did did that have any sort of effect on you for choosing your path? In order to talk about the path that I've taken, we have to kind of revert back to where my parents are. So my dad worked three jobs to keep my mom at home. He grinded and grinded and grinded. He eventually got the job at Biola. Biola offers its teachers and professors this little, this blessing of a deal where they're like, hey, if you work here for a minimum of five years, your kids are able to get tuition for free. So if we can recall, I have four brothers and one sister. If all of us were to go to Biola without my dad's blessing of a job, My dad did the math and it comes out to somewhere approximately $2.4 million by the time everything's said and done for us to go through four years of schooling at Biola. And that's for six kids. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. (laughs) It's vicious. It is, it is, it is a tough place to be in. And obviously as a parent, you always want to support your kids. You don't want them to be in debt. You don't want them to incur this thing that they're going to have to fight off for the rest of your life because you want to put them in a better position than when you were. I honestly don't know if I would go to college or even a quality college if I didn't have this blessing. So the Lord has given my dad this job and I'm taking advantage of the blessing that I've been given. I wouldn't consider it privilege. Uh, I had somebody actually bring that up yesterday. I told them that I went to Biola and she was like, well, that's, you're very privileged. And I was like, no, it's a blessing. I think there's a difference between blessing and privilege. A privilege is something you don't have a right to. It's something that's like, yeah, we get to do this. That's awesome. A blessing is something you're almost getting what you don't deserve. And that's my family. My dad worked so hard to get this job and I, I want to make the best of best of what's been given. Now to answer the question at hand, did it did it influence the rest of my path? In a way, I would not be opposed to going anywhere else. I think that it's just a bonus that Biola is a the Biblical Institute of Los Angeles. It's a good school, and they have a lot they can show me. 
Yeah. I had no idea that was That's, what it stands for. I had no yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And uh, they're, they're a good school. I, I really enjoy being there so far. But I wouldn't mind going to Baylor. I wouldn't mind going to Syracuse. Syracuse has one of the best broadcasting schools in the world. That's where Mike Tirico went. That's where some of the, the, the guys who have made a killing on SNL have gone. So that's a great spot for communications and journalism. So I would not be opposed. But it is nice to be at Biola where I can grow and strengthen my faith as well as my morals and my understanding of what I believe without having to constantly combat the ideals of someone who is staunchly against what I believe. So um, as far as the career that I want to take, as long as I'm entertaining people, I don't really care what I do. I just hope that I can bring a smile to people's face at some point in time in my life, whether it's finally trying my hand at stand-up comedy, which I would like to do at some point in time, um, I want to make this, I guess, YouTube, social media thing an effort. I want to keep maximizing my music. But um, no, I, I went into school as a journalist and then switched over to communications. But I don't think any of that was to become a missionary or to become a, you know, a pastor, I don't think that's ever been the influence as much as I feel God has put me on this earth to entertain. And that's what I hope to bring glory to him by doing. So what is your ultimate goal with the degree that you're going to get from Biola? So this is, this is the fun part. I don't know. I, I obtained, I'm working on a communications degree and I was a journalism major. I switched over and I switched over because while I love broadcasting, I found out I really don't like to write. And as a journalist, that's kind of counterproductive. The cool thing about college is I'm using it in a different methodical approach than other people would. I'm not using college as a means to get a job once I get out. I'm using college as a chance to maximize the skills that I already have and build on top of them in order to do my own thing. I'm taking videography classes with the hope that it can increase my broadcasting. I'm taking communications because theory and understanding how people think, what they think and the beliefs behind them would be pretty applicable. I think that uh, obtaining a goal would to be a musician, a producing musician who puts music out for the benefit of others. And um, if I could get to a point where I could tour, that would be insane, but it's also a pretty saturated market. So I know that I'm a little all over the place. My brain is trying to catch up to my mouth at this point, but uh, yeah. What music would you make? Yeah, so I'm in the process of making a couple. I, I make a lot of songs, but I stem in folk, alternative rock, rock and roll. I dabble in some pop, but mainly the alternative rock indie scene for the most part. 
And are you the singer of this or are you, do you play an instrument? What is it? In? Yeah. So I play guitar, drums. I dabble in bass. I sing and uh, I write music. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty much my own one man band in a sense. And uh, it's tough. It's difficult. And I have broken many things in my garage in frustration and anger, but I love it. I love it. Very cool. Do you have like an EP or like a single that you've made so far that you kind of want to debut or have you, have you written a song and like performed that song yet? Oh, I've, I've written and performed many times. Producing is a whole different animal and it's something I'm still working on. I've actually been uh, working on a song these past couple nights that I really hope to get out there and produce, send it to a producer so that it can be professionally done, but I want to get all the music down. I have been struggling on the producing aspect of music, and that's why I don't have an EP to showcase to everyone, and that's why I'm so diligently trying to make something out of the hours of the evening that I've been given recently. Um, that kind of stems, that reminds me of a conversation that I had with one of my coworkers last night. She says, the, the nine to five is what you do to make a living, but the five to nine is what you do to create your passion. And that has stuck with me and motivated me in a way that I haven't been motivated in a while. And if I truly want to make this thing happen and eventually, hopefully the next time I come on with you, I'll have something to showcase and debut and say, hey, Spotify, go check that out. But for right now, I just perform. I just perform when things are open. And obviously, COVID has kind of kind of put a downer on that for the most part. I was doing a lot of coffee shops, a lot of open mic gigs, and just getting out there and playing acoustic, playing acoustic songs. But uh, I'd love to get a band someday. To feel the roar of an electric guitar and the thunder of drums is pure poetry to my ears. It makes me smile every single time and I get giddy just thinking about it. Who hasn't thought of being a rock star at some point in time of their life? Just <laughs> get up on stage and, oh, it'd be fantastic. But, you can uh, hear the excitement in your voice, man. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool to hear. I love it. So what are your next steps in terms of fulfilling this goal for you? Yeah, so music is an ever- changing and shifting paradigm that you have to almost time it as if it's jump roping. It's a violent, spiky roped, thorn clad game of double Dutch. You have to time it. And there are so many musicians who are exceedingly better than me that have made something happen only for it to fall short. So I have to take that with a grain of salt. And ultimately that's why I'm going to school. So right now I'm just grinding at work and putting as much money as I can away and trying to prepare for a better future. I, I'm writing music. I'm seeking out the counsel of others on how I can make my music better. Um, I need to get better at my social media presence. And with the broadcast kind of away right now, it's kind of, put a, a bit of a weight on that and something I need to grow in. But everything is about getting better right now. I think that's the main theme, getting better at the craft, spending time. Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule, 
it's not about how you practice. It's, or it's not about how much you practice. It's about how you practice. Is it intentional? Is it about getting in there and learning something? So that's where I am right now. That's, those are my next steps, just getting better. And hopefully I will start taking things more seriously than I have been and making this uh, a diligent, a diligent push to become something. I love it, man. I'm wishing you the best of luck. I hope that this dream of yours become re- realized and you can actually like produce music because I'd love to hear it. Uh, other than that, we're kind of ending, we're reaching the end of the interview here. So Micah, thank you for coming on. But one last question before we kind of cut this off here. Um, what is one thing you want somebody to take from this interview? Wow, we've talked about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I think that we should chunk it off of the off of the questions you asked to begin. For those who are struggling to find a purpose and who are f- struggling with depression, there's more to life than what people make it. And it's more about what you make it than what other people do. Uh, secondly, if you, if you haven't sought a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I would strongly recommend it. If not believing it, at least, at least study it, at least become familiar with it. And uh, that's just my personal evangelistic effort towards you. And then lastly, don't stop believing, I guess. Rock on. Do, do, you know, hold on to that feeling. I really think that so many people are scared to try what they love for the fear of it not working. But I'm slowly coming to find that I don't really care anymore. And I would rather get to the age of 90 with a bunch of fallen mishaps than get to the age of 90 and realize that I didn't do anything with the time that I'd been given or I never tried anything and it was all wishful thinking. Man, I really wish I tried stand-up comedy. Man, I really wish I got up on stage and sang that song. Man, I wish I had at least one EP produced. I think that's what I would want people to take away. Get out there and try something. Wow, that last point, amazing. Loved it. That was fantastic. Sounds <laughs> um, good. Last but not least, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, the name is Micah Reimagined. That's Micah underscore Reimagined. Uh, I have Twitter. I think it's Micah Eastman. I think it's, don't, don't follow my Twitter. It's fine. Uh, mainly Instagram. I think that would be the best. I have a TikTok under the same, under the same thing where I kind of do skits and comedy skits. It's Micah underscore reimagined. And, uh, yeah, those are pretty much the main ones I operate at. And if you want to take up, take a look at all the YouTube videos that I've posted, all of it's under the same name. So it's, it's Micah reimagined and it would be great. Take a look at it, check it out, see if you enjoy the Micah Eastman broadcast and always feel free to comment what topic you guys want next because I'm always looking for always looking for something. Love it. Micah, thank you for taking time out of your day and coming on and sharing your life. Appreciate yeah, you. Of course, man. Thanks. Bye. All right, that just about wraps up this episode of Let's Talk About Life featuring Micah Eastman. Hope you guys really enjoyed. Um, as I said before, 
please check out his Instagram and his TikTok page and his soon-to-come YouTube. has a lot of great stuff. It'll make you laugh. It'll make your day. It's just three minutes long. As always, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, not Facebook, but on YouTube. We're on YouTube, so if you want to watch these videos, go on there. Um, other than that, hope you guys have a great week, and I'll see you next week.